Good afternoon, Maura. Hey there, Cheryl. How are you today? I am doing fine. It is nice to have you back in town. Thank you. So you've been out and about, right? I have. It's fall conference season, so you know what that means. It's a little bit of Georgia conference is what started us off in September, but I've spent some time with the Alabama Realtors and the Louisiana Realtors. Had a great two days last week teaching the MRP, the Military Relocation Professional in Huntsville. They got over 200 Realtors in Huntsville certified to better help our military communities. That's amazing, honestly. I know I'm working on a couple of new classes right now. They're actually old classes that I haven't taught in a million years. Uh, So mine is like lot and land because we opened up a new office up in Cartersville, Georgia. So it's uh, out there where we deal with a little bit more of the land issues. And then trying to go back and redo some of our classes that I've had for a while. So disclosure which you know feels very real considering our last episode and what we were talking about with what needed to be disclosed so in a little bit less ghostly situations what we need to do right now well and i think how timely because as the market is shifting has shifted and continues to shift we had sellers for quite some time that felt that their property would sell whether they disclose things or not we've had a lot of sellers who just aren't providing disclosures and a lot of buyers who were waiving inspections. And as we move into a more balanced market, I see the need to educate realtors and quite frankly, consumers, how to have those conversations again about disclosure and what you do and don't need to disclose. Exactly. Obviously, I think having inspections would be a better thing to do. So I'm glad to see that they're back. I truly am. But yeah, just going through best practices and using what is, you know, not quite the crazy market that we've had for the last few months to to do some education. And then we'll head, you know, obviously into the beginning of the year with our brand new contracts and our contract changes. So looking forward to doing a lot of classes and uh, meeting with a lot of agents this fall and into the winter months. And introducing them to our podcast. Absolutely, positively. So welcome if you're here. Yes. Thank you for joining us. So share. I sent you a news article via text message a couple weeks ago, and I can't stop thinking about it. I think we need to talk about it because it's one of those stories that is almost too crazy to be true. I feel like it should be the plot of a movie or at least an episode of a crime drama. I appreciate that you, unlike, you know, the husband that I know and love, read past the headlines. (laughs) So I am sure you were able to tell me, although the headline in and of itself almost felt a little like clickbait, right? It did. And I absolutely clicked, and I'm glad that I did. So let's give our listeners a little idea of what we're talking about. The headline of this article that caught my eye, and I immediately sent it to Cheryl, was Georgia gang inmate, age 31, steals $11 million while in max security jail after claiming to be a billionaire. So already a little bit crazy, right? Absolutely. I mean, I'm already thinking, how does this happen? How does this happen? Just to give a quick summary now, if you if you want to read this article in its entirety, of course it is going to be in our show notes. We are putting so much great information in the show notes of every episode, and we hope you guys are, are looking there and clicking on those links. But here's a quick summary. So a Georgia gang inmate who is currently serving 14 years for armed robbery allegedly impersonated a billionaire while he was locked up. Not the billionaire. The gang member. (laughs) While he was locked up in maximum security prison, he stole $11 million and then used the cash to buy a mansion in Atlanta with the help of contraband cell phones. And obviously he had a little bit of help, co-conspirators who were outside doing some of the legwork for him. 
But when I read about how this actually happened, it's not actually what you and I fear the most, which is wire fraud directly related to a real estate transaction. Exactly. So good news on that front. But it seems like what he was able to do was to steal this man's identity. He's a movie mogul. Uh, Steal his identity, gain access to his Charles Schwab account back in June 2020. He was able to access $11 million and then take that money. By the way, he bought 6,106 American Gold Eagle one ounce coins for just under 11 million at the Money Metals Exchange LLC. I probably have seen ads for them online. We probably have. Uh, Hired a private security team to transport the coins via a private plane to Atlanta on June 13th of 2020. And then through accessing the person that he stole from, that person's driver's license, utility bills, the help of co-conspirators, they got the money, then they identified a property, made an offer on it with $720,000 cash down payment and bought a property while he was in jail. And oh, by the way, he's now been moved to a higher level security prison for putting out a hit on one of his romantic rivals in Atlanta from another gang. This just sounds like it should be the plot of a movie. It absolutely. And you know, and as you're telling the story, if I were watching a movie about this, what I would be thinking is there are so many red flags here that someone like this just does not feel right. How the heck do you know, if someone shows up and tries to hand me three quarters of a million dollars in cash, I start to have a few questions about it. If someone shows up at a closing transaction with almost $11 million in coins, or maybe they went into a bank because they don't, the article doesn't give a lot of details about how the money actually right. changed in order to complete the purchase. But it's just at some point in here, there had to have been a flag. Although I will say I respect his ingenuity. I'm not saying that it's wise to commit a crime, but man, this guy was working. There are probably some Hollywood writers who are thinking, why didn't I think of that while I'm writing a script? And this person was able to mastermind this. And they're calling it the largest heist ever pulled off from inside an American prison. This is the sort of thing that that actually shouldn't be able to happen and is absolutely beyond the pale. But obviously, it's not the only time that there's been a crime related to to real estate. And that's a lot of what we want to talk about today. So, you know, you sent me that and then I sent you an article. Uh, Yes, you did. And this one was uh, Wall Street Journal. I listened I listened to a lot of my news. That way I can walk the dog or drive to work or, (laughs) you know, I was the person in law school who had a stack of Wall Street Journal newspapers and I never got through all of them. But my corporations and securities regs professor said I should be reading it every day. But the Wall Street Journal podcast was talking about a little bit more rampant fraud scheme that is going on in Florida. And Florida tends to be a victim of a lot of these things. It won't be the last time you've heard the the word Florida come up probably in one of our podcasts. But in this case, we have a lot of properties there that are owned. Some of them are owned by Venezuelans who are currently not able to reenter the United States due to bribery and corruption charges that are pending against them. So there was a couple that was legitimately going in the, into banks. They were fake, using fake identification and they were borrowing money against these properties that were owned. And this happened on a large scale and also involved millions and millions of dollars. 
just so I'm sure that I'm clear, they were going into banks with fake identities. Right. Obviously identities that they had stolen that exactly. belong to these Venezuelans who can't come back into the country, but they own properties that are either sitting empty or possibly have a tenant in them. But they were essentially taking out a second mortgage, borrowing against the equity in the property or using the properties as collateral. And a lot of times it wasn't even a second mortgage because these properties were bought for cash to begin with. So Uh there was 100% equity in these properties. And they were specifically targeting people just sort of like the mogul in your example of, you know, someone who has billions of dollars hoping that something involved in one of their properties won't hit their knowledge. And then the other issue, obviously, that these people are having is even if they identify it, they have a hard time defending their rights because they can't come back into the United States. So they can make calls to banks and things like that and start investigations. Um, But they obviously don't have as many options since they can't come back and check it out. Maybe we need to talk about something that might be a little more feasible for some of our listeners, whether exactly. they are... And us. And us. Uh, you and I, unfortunately, not billionaires. But I understand why the ultra-rich would be more of a target in some of these situations. Because if you are not the only person authorized to touch your bank account, if you're not the only person possibly moving money around, maybe you have a business manager, you have a financial advisor, you have other people who are moving your money for investment purposes, these criminals are making somewhat wise assumptions that a little bit money here and a little bit of money there. Now, granted, we're talking millions of dollars, but in the grand scheme of things, for someone who's a billionaire, moving a few million here and a few million there may not get noticed. Correct. Ordinary course of business. Right. So ordinary course of business for a more typical consumer who are probably going to be the majority of the clients of most of our listeners, right? How do we protect ourselves? What do I need to worry about, for example, on my personal home? I'm there every day. It's not an empty property. You know, occasionally we may leave town for a few days, but I'm there every day. Are there things that could be happening without my knowledge? And how do I protect myself? That question is coming up and we're getting a lot of emails as uh, settlement agents and consumers reaching out, agents asking questions, uh, because there are companies that have sprouted up to help with this sort of thing. And the biggest question is, number one, is this a legitimate problem to begin with Mm -hmm. uh, for most people? And secondly, are these companies that are out there the solution? There is an excellent Fox 5 Atlanta article that's out there. I've actually seen it referred to in some of the other national news. So we're not just, you know, partial to it because it's right (laughs) here in our backyard. One of the questions that they ask is, is this a solution in search of a problem? I think what you're talking about is the title locking companies or title monitoring services. And we won't mention them by name today because obviously if we don't have direct experience with them, we're not going to rate and review them. Right. In my mind, when when I've read about some of these companies, I compare them to a credit monitoring service, but there's differences. Credit monitoring, whether it's paid for or I get it through my bank, is the ability to see what's going on with my credit. If someone has perhaps stolen my identity and opened a credit card in my name, I can lock my credit though. Right. What's the advantage, if there even is one, to having a title monitoring service? Is it the same? Can I lock my title? The short answer to that is unequivocally and absolutely no. There's no way to to lock your title. We have had discussions, obviously, of blockchain for real estate. We're talking a lot about real estate also from the perspective of can we even hide our records? And, and it's a public record by its very nature, uh, which has some unintended consequences for people. But there is no way to lock a title. 
And really, when you say title locking or monitoring, it really is the latter. This is simply a, a, a company out there that will monitor not only deed records, but other online records. Some of those online records that they're looking at, I always find a little bit suspect to begin with anyway. When agents come to us and say, I found who the owner of the property is by tax records or realist or one of those other things, my first response is that it's not a title record to begin with right. and it's fraught with error when I'm looking at things I'm looking at the actual deeds that are out there and my issue with the companies is that all of the ones that I was able to find and I did as much digging as I could possibly do for companies that don't really want to give me a lot of information unless I sign up for the service mm -hmm. so it's very hard to see past that point they really are just monitoring the title, which means the very most that they can do is to tell you about a problem after it's already occurred. And didn't you tell me right before we pushed record that despite the fact that really all they can do is monitor, they all have the word lock in their name? Everyone that I found had the word lock in their name, and I've got to be very honest, I feel like that's deceptive. By its very nature, just because there are companies out there that do allow you to lock things like your credit, and that's real. Um, you can, and I remember even doing that when I was in law school because I had a classmate who had had her identity stolen back before identity theft was really well known. So I've seen what your credit locking looks like, mm -hmm. um, and that this is not what that is. They're playing on what is a very real fear, which is title fraud. Right. However, I think they're fear-mongering a little bit. We know a lot about fear-mongering in the real estate world because all you have to do is turn on the news or read a national newspaper and listen to people talk about the interest rates and the Fed and inflation and, and the economy, and that's fear-mongering in itself. But let's talk about something that we should be a little bit, if not afraid of, at least aware of, and that is we've established that title fraud is real, so what does that look like? What should we be looking out for, and what, what is the worst that could happen? So usually when you're talking about something that's happening to someone like us, they are either forging a document or they're impersonating us. And so if someone, you know, we'll use my property as an example. If someone wanted to forge a deed, it actually wouldn't probably be that difficult. Uh, there are copies of things that my husband and I have signed online, like the loan documents that get recorded of record. So obviously there's a public record of what our signatures look like. All deeds require a witness and a notary. The witness is not even an identified party, so you can scribble whatever you want on a witness line. From the notary perspective, you could either fake a notary seal or actually, you know, enlist a notary who wants to participate in the fraud with you, which is probably a little bit less likely. But if you provide a forged ID, uh-huh there's a chance that notary isn't even aware that they're participating in fraud, right? That's absolutely correct. And that also will lead into the impersonation. So someone either gets a fake ID that says they're Cheryl King or, you know, to be really honest, I'm not the only Cheryl King out there. And so, in fact, if you Google my name, the first Cheryl King you get, if you don't put Connor King in it or don't put Georgia, is a woman who designs jewelry for a living who has the same name as I do. So there have been some fraud schemes where they've just... Found, they found a great property that's owned by someone with a little bit more common name, and then they just found a co-conspirator who happens to have the same name. Wow. That's speechless, that's, right, Maura? A little speechless, <laughs> yes, which doesn't happen often. Well, that sounds like a perfect place for us to take a quick break and collect my thoughts. Exactly. We'll be right back.
Okay, we are back and we are talking about a scary subject, even though Halloween was last month. We are talking about title fraud, title monitoring, title insurance. We just talked a little bit about impersonation and forgery, but are there any other varieties that we need to be aware of, Cheryl? Yeah, there are some others that that, um, we do really need to be concerned about one of which is really elder fraud and elder abuse at the end of the day. So we need to be very careful with our family members who are on title to the property. A lot of people are aging in place these days. They're not leaving their home, which also may mean that strangers can come to them and discuss things with them. So there is the potential that you may have someone who may be in a period of a little bit of confusion who can deed away property. The other thing that we really have to worry about, and we haven't seen it really come back up yet, but we may, is some of the loan modification and foreclosure avoidance. We haven't seen it in the last couple of years because we had foreclosure moratoriums. We had an infusion of cash in people's households. A lot of that is still there, but you also hear about numbers of potential foreclosures ticking up a little bit. Not a flood of foreclosures that some We're people- We're not fear-mongering. Are, we, are, we are absolutely not in the, in the fear-mongering camp for this one. But you do have people that may be having some struggles going forward, uh, depending upon what happens. And so you have companies that will advertise their services to avoid foreclosure or credit rescue or property protection or any of those sorts of things. And what I would really counsel people is there there are HUD-approved counselors that are available. And if someone needs to talk to someone, they should not stick their head in their sand. But I don't think that the telephone number that you see on the sign that's dug into the ground as you get off the interstate on the side of the road is probably going to be the best source of information. Or the people who are calling and solicitation phone calls. Generally, my rule of thumb is... Don't answer the phone if you don't recognize the number. Right. If they're truly legitimate, they'll leave you a message, but even then use caution when calling them back. But anyone calling, offering to help you with things like that, keep in mind that they don't know that you're in trouble. They're throwing a bunch of spaghetti against the wall to see what will stick, right? Correct. So they're hoping that if they make 100 calls and they hit one that's actually willing to talk to them, that they can defraud of the equity in their home or the money in their bank account or worse then they've had a successful day. And those are really difficult because the people, the real Cheryl King signs a deed over to someone, right? It only happens because people are in a situation where they really do need some help. You know, when I have conversations with those people, obviously after they've done this and trying to undo it, it's very difficult because if Cheryl King actually did sign a deed over to this stranger company who says they're going to help me, I have given away my asset and I still have a mortgage sitting out there with my name on it. So I have all of the liability mm-hmm. and I have none of the asset and it's going to be a hard road for me to prove to a court to undo the deed. I think it would be much easier if someone were, if, I, if Cheryl were 85 or 90 years old but Cheryl's not. And so just saying I made a mistake, you really are going to have a hard hurdle proving fraud. Right. Going back to the elder fraud piece, it's having conversations with your loved ones. And it may not even be a confusion issue. It may be that someone wheedles their way into their their lives because they prey on people who may be suffering from loneliness or enjoying the fact that someone's coming around who wants to have a conversation with them when really what they're allowing themselves to have blinders on and not see what's really happening. Exactly. 
I want to get back to what, what we can and should be doing to protect ourselves because some of this, I feel, comes out of left field and, and you may not realize it's happening. But then some of it is very obvious, you know, phone calls from random phone numbers, people trying to ask you if you'd like to sell your home or if you need help with a credit issue. But doesn't title insurance cover, except for those mistakes where you mentioned Cheryl actually signed the deed and now realizes a mistake has been made, where does title insurance fall within all of this? Because you and I have a strong track record of encouraging my buyers to not give up the opportunity to buy title insurance. Right. That comes from the fact that it is obviously an optional thing that is out there. My preference is if someone's going to waive that at the purchase of a piece of property, that we have a conversation. And you're still going to have people that do it. I just want it to be a a knowing decision. But where title insurance originally came was was something that really protected us from things that happened in the past. Uh, You know, the unknown heir whose signature was forged when the family property was sold, which then got developed and subdivided and became 80 houses in a neighborhood. And then all of a sudden that undisclosed heir comes and rears their ugly head. But what it covers more now, particularly with our enhanced policies, includes what we call fraud after the fact. So it is if something happens after I take title to the property, which wasn't even a known issue back in the day. But that is exactly what these title monitoring services are talking about. And what you really want to know is if someone forges a deed out of Cheryl King, that doesn't affect my title. And if I have to have my title defended, that's what my title insurance is there for. Mm. And they will do that. The person who will have the big issue is the person that the fraudster sold my house to and hopefully they bought title insurance because that will compensate them from being that innocent victim who bought a property from someone who didn't really own it at the end of the day. So, you know, that's something that you pay for one time Mm -hmm. at your original purchase of the property. Most of the properties will qualify for that enhanced policy. Um, You may have to ask more questions if you're buying under the name of an LLC, uh, if it is an extremely complicated property, and maybe even if it's not, I'm going to always recommend that someone get a survey, but you may have to get a survey in order to get the enhanced policy because of all the survey coverage that it does provide. But that's there. So then the question becomes, why do I need the title monitoring service? There may be some value there. But the question is going to be, am I getting what I pay for? And does it really have to involve a monthly subscription to a paid site? One of which would have allowed me to sign up and pay up front for 15 years. Oh my. You can't even tell me what the world is going to be like five years from now. Our real estate records may well be on blockchain by that point, which would make this company wholly unnecessary. And the other question is, how long do most people own their properties? So one of the companies out there did have over 100 reviews. I read all of them. They were almost all five-star reviews, which is really, really good. All but maybe two or three of them were really about how nice the people were that handled the setup, which is very good customer service for the company. Sure. But what I was looking for in trying to be fair and impartial and, and judge and understand that I issue title insurance every day, so I do have some skin in this game. 
What I was looking for is someone who had actually used the service. That was going to be my question. Were they writing reviews simply because they bought a policy and they and they received a link to please write us a review versus I bought this, the customer service was fine, but then I had an actual need for it and this was the outcome. It sounds like maybe there weren't too many of those. The only ones who had actually used the service, none of them had used it for any sort of title theft or title fraud. So the ones that had actually used the service had used it because it is a component piece uh, of a company who has a portal where you can upload all your home ownership documents mm. and keep everything in one place, which is, again, great. It is an actual service. It is exactly what you could do with Google Drive. It is exactly what you could do with Microsoft. It is exactly what you could do with Dropbox. It is exactly what you could do, like my password app has document upload. Sure. So again, is this a solution looking for a problem at the end of the day? And then the other question is, some of them actually do refer to some amount of coverage if, you do, if a problem is identified. But how does that work with your title insurance? Because the whole point of title insurance is that if I have someone who tries to take title to my property, then my title insurance is actually going to pay. Now, you mentioned a moment ago about enhanced policies. How does an agent working with a buyer or the buyer themselves know if the policy that shows up on their closing statement that is being issued by the closing attorney, how do they know if they're getting this enhanced policy or if they should ask if it could be further enhanced? Typically, and the title companies will differ a little bit, but there is like a standard policy and there's going to be the enhanced policy. The Georgia Forms Committee had made a change many, many years ago when TRID happened, so 2015, for the contract to actually specifically state that the buyer requests an enhanced policy. Got and it. the reason that it did that was because when TRID happened, then lenders were, there was more of a standard format for lenders quoting fees and being responsible for what they quoted, which is fabulous. But mm -hmm. what the lenders were all doing was quoting the least expensive title policy in order to make their numbers look better. So mm -hmm. what we did was we went back and changed the standard Georgia realtor contract to say that the buyer is specifically requesting an enhanced policy and that the lender is directed to provide that when they're giving their numbers. So I think that fixed a lot of it. Closing attorneys make a piece of the title insurance. We're also responsible for stepping in when there's a problem. Uh, so we share in both the, the good and the, and the not so good parts of that. So we will usually issue an enhanced policy if it is at all possible. The ones that it is not, like I said, if a, a company purchases, you have to get special permission to issue to what we call a non-natural person, mm -hmm. uh, like an LLC or a corporation, but it can be done. Mm -hmm. So LLC owners need to be aware of that. And then properties that are acreage that are more complicated, that go above 20 acres, that haven't had consistent legal descriptions for at least about a quarter of a century, those you want a survey anyway, but you need one to issue the enhanced. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So it sounds like the title insurance policy is going to do a big piece of what we're talking about from a protection standpoint. Absolutely. Especially with the newer versions covering fraud that happens after the fact, exactly. after your purchase. I think it's worth noting for maybe newer agents who might be listening or consumers that the lender will always have the buyer purchase title insurance. So if you're getting a mortgage, yes. you absolutely will be paying for lender's title insurance. They are never going to give up their coverage to protect them. So please think twice before you as a consumer or you as an agent representing a buyer giving advice 
perhaps on whether title insurance is necessary or that's a place where shockingly I've heard advice be given to buyers that that's where they could save some money. Right. It is a one-time fee and the protection is invaluable. Exactly. And the policy that we do issue for lenders doesn't cover the buyer at the end of the day. Right. So it's of absolute, and and that is, that can be a little bit confusing for agents and for homeowners who are borrowing a high percentage. If you lost title to your property, the lender would be paid off. Let's say it's a total loss of title for whatever reason. There was fraud in the back chain and money doesn't solve it. And this property actually goes back to someone else. In, in that case, the lender would get paid off, but then that note would still be due. So mm-hmm. you can lose your property and have to pay back your full loan. Lose your property, keep your mortgage. Yeah. That's terrifying. That's a common theme for what we've been talking about today. So the only thing that that these monitoring services really provide that title insurance doesn't is that they say that they're going to regularly take a look at the property and see if anything has been transferred out and sort of give you notice of that. I did see a couple of things online about false reporting to them, which terrified people. So you do have to worry because they're not really pulling everything from the deed records. It's just a piece. And some of the other things that they're looking at can be wrong. Mm-hmm. And so can you, so the false positive is something to think about. And the other thing to really know is that some of the counties in and of themselves and some of the government entities are really starting to try and be part of the solution here. So what I know specifically is the the things that are available in the state of Georgia. But obviously, we may have people that are listening, you know, throughout the country. And you can definitely, we'll have in the show notes, a website that will give you the ability to search for your state and your county to see whether there are any county deed records that are available online. In Georgia, I know that Cherokee, Cobb, and Forsyth are online. And so you can take a look if you want to. There's a little bit of a learning curve for any one of these sites. But typically, once you find like your name, then you're really just looking for anything that's come out, you know, later in time than that. So not as big a deal. There can be a lot there because it goes back to the early 1900s or maybe even late 1800s. But also inside of the state of Georgia, you know, really the hotbed for all of our fraud is the city of... Atlanta. Yes. And, <laughs> and city of Atlanta is really sitting in two counties, for those of you who haven't had the pleasure. That is DeKalb and Fulton. Right. And DeKalb was having so many issues with fraud that actually eight years ago, they created a registry site. So you can sign up and you'll be advised with either a text message or an email if there's been any change to the title of your property, which mm. is amazing. And then as of this year, Fulton County went online with what they call their React site, which is Real Estate Activity Alert and Contact Tool. And that we'll have in the show notes as well. I signed up for that because I'm a Fulton County owner. And it took about two minutes. And now I will get, I believe, an email and a text message if there's any change that's made to the title to my property. And even though you and I spoke about that, I have procrastinated. So I will be signing up for that uh, for both of my Fulton County properties this afternoon. So that's also a great way if you are listening to this and you are a realtor in Georgia who sells in Fulton and DeKalb, what a great way to reach out and give that valuable piece of information to your clients who live in those two counties. It's a simple email to let them know that there is a legitimate service run by the county that can help to alert them to something that could be a much bigger headache, to put it lightly, down the road if they didn't get that kind of alert. And hopefully other counties are going to follow suit. I really think that they will. I think that, you know, DeKalb's happened a long time ago, but I really think Fulton coming online these days, when you have your bigger counties start to do something, 
if the barrier to doing it isn't too great, and I don't really think that this is a high expense for the counties, I would expect it'll probably start out in the Atlanta metro area, which is, what, 16 or 18 counties, and then sort of filter out from there. And I do know from a lot of the information that I was reading online that there are counties in, in other metropolitan areas that, were, that are definitely going to this sort of service. And as you said, it's something that agents can send out to homeowners because you're always looking for a way to touch past clients or potential new clients. Mm -hmm. This is something that you can legitimately give them that is actually valuable. And we'll have the direct links in the show notes because sometimes it is hard to find these services. When I was specifically out there knowing exactly what I'm looking for, and trying to find these sites, it's not necessarily easy. With the React site that Fulton Cat has, I found news articles about it that weren't linking me back to how to get to the actual mm. thing. So I think it would be exceptionally valuable and a great marketing piece. And I think ultimately what these larger municipalities, and hopefully it'll filter out to other smaller counties, What I think they're realizing is even if they are not financially impacted directly by fraud the way their residents could be, the blowback from a PR standpoint, trying to attract builders and new homeowners and people to bring businesses and to move into those areas, if we're seeing reports of fraud are rampant, that looks bad for the county and ultimately could affect other things. Well, plus if these companies, so DeKalb and Fulton are using two different companies to do this. Obviously, the Fulton one looks a little newer or fresher because it was created eight years after the fact. They both provide the service, uh, but obviously there may be little startup IT companies that are they can sell the, this sort of a service mm. to the to the different counties. You know, when you have some standardization of you've got a few companies out there selling it, I think that it becomes a good financial deal for the counties to sign up for. So I'm hopeful. It certainly means there's no reason for me to sign up for a separate service that I don't really know what its track record is that wants me to prepay for the next 15 years. Well, this has been a lot of great information. I am absolutely going to go sign my two Fulton County properties up for the React site. And like Cheryl said, we're going to have links not only to the news articles that we referenced so that you too can read about criminals defrauding billionaires, but also, all kidding aside, so you can have the helpful resources to find those Fulton and DeKalb sites, or if you're located elsewhere, the site to search your own state to see if you have a similar program that you can protect your property and recommend to your clients. Excellent. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Real Smart. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, and share with your friends. <laughs>